You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Student Minister Sam Oldland. Our Bible reading today will be from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Hey, it's awesome to be with you guys. Uh, Like Kirk said, my name's Sam. I'm a student minister at the church here. This is an amazing part of the Bible. Uh, I'm looking forward to exploring it together and hearing what God has to say to our hearts tonight. We're going to think about how to take the right path tonight, Uh, and so let me begin by telling you about a time that I took the wrong path. When I was 16, uh, my family went and we visited some friends of ours who were missionaries in Nepal. They lived in Kathmandu, which is a city in Nepal, Uh, and we had a wonderful time with them, seeing the sights, seeing their life, and one night uh, we went out to a restaurant, and by the time we were leaving the restaurant, it was well after dark. Uh, so our friends who were locals said, oh, look, there's a, there's a lane that goes in a pretty much straight line from the restaurant to our house, but I probably wouldn't take that lane after dark. You're probably better to take uh, the road, to take the long way around. So we get to the end of dinner, and I'm feeling pretty tired. I just want to get home. And my parents say, all right, let's take the road. And I thought, Mum, no, Dad, no, I know better than this. I think we should take the lane. And mum and dad said, no, 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 we're going to do what our friends told us. We're going to walk much further and go along the road. And I thought, I'm smarter than mum and dad. I'm definitely taking the lane. So I set off down the lane by myself. I don't know why mum and dad let me do that, but they did. Negligent parents, it's okay. And I walked down the lane, uh, and I got a couple of hundred metres into this lane and started hearing these... coming from on the sides and these kind of little scuffles on the edges of the lane, and before I know it, there's all these dogs, like mangy, mangy street dogs. These are not nice, you know, like spoodles kind of dogs. These are, <laughs> these are, these are bad dogs. And they're in the lane in front of me, and I thought, oh, no, I've really picked the wrong option here. I should have listened to my mum and dad. So I, I picked up some rocks and sticks and whatever I could find and kind of started backing up, and these, these dogs are coming in. And I had to throw these rocks and sticks at the dogs, and then just turn around and bolt back out as fast as I could, and then walk with my tail between my legs all the way around the long way, following mum and dad, taking the right path that I should have taken in the first place. I took the wrong path, and I could have paid for it much worse than I did at that time. We're going to think about how to choose the right path as we live our lives as Christians. If you don't have a Bible open in front of you, grab one of these Bibles from the bench in front of you. We're on page 981. We're halfway through 1 Peter. Up until this point, Peter has been teaching us, reminding us of who we are as Christians. He's been reminding these people, reminding us that we are God's elect God's chosen, special people, like Israel, like we learned about last week. And we're exiles 
in the world, foreigners who don't really belong here. Or people bought with the precious blood of Jesus. People who have living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're strangers in the world waiting for Jesus' return. And here in the letter at chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, we get to a whole new section. The whole rest of the letter is Peter teaching about how we should live out who we are. These two verses are like a hinge. They, they sum up the whole first half of the letter and they introduce the whole second half of the letter. And they have an amazing meaning from God for us in our lives. So Peter begins, dear friends. Now, when Peter says dear friends, it's not like dear Uncle Jack, thanks for your postcard, da-da-da-da-da. This is dear friends. This is an expression of love and intimacy. Peter knows these people. He loves these people. The word is literally beloved. Peter says, dear friends, beloved, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Foreigners and exiles, that's what he calls them. If you've been here through our One Peter series so far, do you remember that language? This isn't the first time that Peter has called us that. Have a look in your Bible there at the very start of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. Peter calls God's people exiles, strangers. He does it again in chapter 1, verse 17 calls them foreigners, and again here in chapter 2, verse 11, we are foreigners and exiles. We don't belong here. We're in a place where we are outsiders. This world is not our home. If you belong to Jesus, then you and I, we don't belong here. We feel that, don't we, when it's hard to live our lives as Christians. We feel it when there's suffering and grief and we know deep down this is not the way it's meant to be. We feel it when all the pressure on us pushes us to live one way and Jesus calls us to live a different way. There's a, an old gospel song which I love, uh, which says, The world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. If you're a Christian, that's our song. We can't feel at home in this world anymore because our home is somewhere beyond, somewhere that we're waiting for. Well then, how should we live while we wait? What should our lives be like in this world? That's, that's the question, isn't it? That's the question that Christians have wrestled with for 2,000 years and come up with lots of different answers to that question. Imagine that there are three paths in front of you, three routes that you could choose to find an answer to this question. What should our lives be like? How should we live in this world? First, there's a path 
on the right, and this path is called separation, the path of separation. If you choose to go down this path, you look at the world around you and you see that it's not the way God calls us to live. There's, there's sinfulness and there's temptations, there's danger. And so you draw back from the world. Christians form into tight, isolated communities where we can support one another, talk about God together, marry our kids off to each other, where it feels safe, where we can avoid the temptations of the world. And there have been many times in history when the church has done this. After the Roman Empire collapsed, think back to your year seven history here, after the Roman Empire collapsed, there was 500 years called the Dark Ages. In the Dark Ages, technology collapsed, everyone hated each other, culture decayed, there were loose morals, basically whoever had the biggest muscles was in charge. Sounds a lot like high school to me, but that was uh, the Dark Ages. And the Christians, they retreated into monasteries with big stone walls to keep out the barbarians. And for 500 years, they read their books, they prayed, they taught. They protected themselves. The problem was, there were people living in desperate poverty and without the hope of the gospel, right outside those big, thick walls. And there are other communities who've done this as well, who've taken the path of separation. The Amish people in North America have moved into these closed communities where you have to live a highly conservative, traditional lifestyle with a weird, creepy beard or a long, homemade skirt, right? If you're any different to that community, you're ejected from it. They've chosen the path of separation. But before we judge them too quickly, let's look at our own lives. If you're here and you're a Christian, how many of your close friends aren't believers in Jesus? How many of those actually get to see you live out your Christian life? Are you walking down the path of separation as well? Maybe in a more normal, suburban kind of way, but still withdrawing into Christian community that separates you from the world around you. This is the path that tempts me. I love hanging out with Christians. I feel weird about people who aren't believers in Jesus seeing me doing strange things like praying and singing songs, going to church. There are lots of things out there that feel like threats to my faith. I could easily walk down this path of separation. But the thing is, this path doesn't take you anywhere because the dangers aren't coming from outside. They're coming from within us. Look at verse 11 in your Bible there. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Sinful desires, that's where the danger comes from. Separation, surrounding yourself with Christian things and Christian people and safety, it's not actually safe at all. You can still have a heart filled with hate inside a monastery. You can still have a heart filled with lust inside an Amish community. 
you can still lose your faith in Jesus going to church and life group every week. Your kids can still fall away from Jesus at a Christian school. The path of separation is not the path that we like to think it is. It's not as safe as we might like to think it is. And it's not the path that God calls us to take. Okay, if we don't want to take the path of separation, what about we take a different path? What about if we make sure that we're really accessible to the world, that we don't do things which offend people or make us look weird? If we're like foreigners here in this land, maybe we should understand and take on the customs and the habits and the values of this place so that we can fit in here, so that we can move around more easily and people will listen to us. This is the path called assimilation. Assimilation. That's a bit of a strange word, right? I'm going to ask you a question to help us understand this word, and I want you to be brave here. Put your hand up if you are a Star Trek fan. Yes? I like it. No apologies from Andy. I like it. When I asked that question at 8 a.m. this morning, I got nothing. Just blank, complete blank stares. So that kind of derailed my illustration a bit, but... Here we go. (laughs) So my parents are big fans of Star Trek. So when I was a little kid, uh, we watched a fair bit of Star Trek. And there's this race of aliens in Star Trek called the Borg. And they're cyborgs, right? They're half robots. And they go around and they conquer planets and they turn all the people on those planets into cyborgs just like themselves. They fix machines onto their bodies. They attach their minds into a central hive mind. People lose their identity and become just like every other one of the Borg. The Borg assimilate people. They make them like themselves. When I was a kid, I was terrified when people got assimilated by the Borg. Sometimes I had to just quietly step out of the room for a few minutes and then come back in when the scene was finished. It turns out I was right to be afraid of the Borg assimilating people, because according to the Bible, assimilation is no good. There are Christians across the centuries who have thought that the best way to live in this world, the best path to take, is to assimilate, to be like the world in order to win the world. When you go to parties where everyone's getting drunk and sleeping around, some Christians choose to just Assimilate. Be like everyone else. When your workplace introduces some dodgy practices, cutting corners, inflating numbers, some Christians just assimilate. Do what everyone else is doing. When the teaching of the Bible is different to the message that we get from the media, from our schools, from our society, some Christians just assimilate. Do what everyone else is doing. The problem is, we're not like everyone else. We're children of God. We're new creations. We're ambassadors of Christ. And we should not, we must not look like the world around us. We're foreigners. We're exiles. We don't belong here. Why would we pretend that we do? If you become like the world to win the world, what are you winning them to? I've seen Christians in my life take this path 
of assimilation and lose their faith because of it. I know people who found it difficult to be countercultural as a Christian. And so they change their minds on this part of theology, they compromise on that part of the Christian life. They try not to look different from other people. And before you know it, they're not different to other people. My friends have lost their faith by taking this path of assimilation. I suspect that you probably do as well. And entire churches and denominations even do this. They start to compromise. Eventually, they start to lose the message of the gospel. They stop calling people to repent and believe in Jesus. And eventually, they're not a church at all anymore. Look at what our passage says. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Pagans is a, an old-fashioned word for people who don't believe and follow God. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live good lives among the pagans. Lives that people can see. Living for Jesus makes us look different so we can't assimilate. Which, which of those two paths do you think tempts you? Are you more tempted to separation or assimilation? For me, I, th I think it's separation. There's part of me that thinks, oh, that path would be nice. That would be easier. That would be safe. What about you? What about us as a church together? What should we do then? If we shouldn't take the path of separation, or we'll lose our witness and people will miss out on Jesus? If we shouldn't take the path of assimilation, or we'll lose our identity and lose the gospel? What's the path that we should take? Well, Here's the path that Peter signposts us down, the path that Peter points us to walk, the path of proclamation. We are called to live such good lives, lives that point people to Jesus, lives that people can see that our lives proclaim the gospel, lives of proclamation, lives that point people to Jesus, that show people what Jesus is like. In the first days of the church, in the mighty Roman Empire, Roman families wanted sons. So a horrible practice emerged where baby girls were put out at night in the street to die. Sometimes fresh from birth, they were abandoned, left to die because of their gender. And the Christians, they would go out as a community together in the cold night, and they would find these little baby girls dying on the street. And they would take them home to where it was warm, where there were people who loved each other, and they would try to save these babies. If they couldn't, if the girls were just too young or too sick, the Christians would wrap them up and keep them warm, sing to them, pray for them, comfort them, do what they could. 
These people were not taking the path of separation. They were not separating themselves from their society. You know what? People asked them about it. And when people asked the Christians about it, the Christians told them about the love of God, about the value of every life to Him, about His call on them to live holy lives. Remember, these are the same people who are being thrown to the lions for refusing to compromise on their devotion to Jesus. These people were not taking the path of assimilation. They were not assimilating to their society. They proclaimed the gospel in their deeds and with their words. And God changed the world through them. People saw them, they saw what they did, and they heard the message of Jesus through these people. And it literally changed the world. On the path of proclamation, we live holy lives. Like Peter says, we abstain from sinful desires. We say no to greed. We put to death envy in our hearts. We flee from adultery and porn and every kind of lust. We are radically committed to being self-controlled, to live holy lives, to live the way God calls us to live. We're not afraid to be different to everyone else. But we don't have to retreat behind big stone walls to do that. We live boldly, publicly, attractively, in a way that points people to Jesus. Walking the path of proclamation keeps us from the dangers of separation and the dangers of assimilation. Holy living, which people can see, keeps you from separating off from the world, retreating into a Christian bubble where you think it's safe. Holy living keeps you from losing your Christian identity and becoming just like everyone else. I wonder what might this middle path look like for you? In your life, if you're a worker, what might this look like in your work life? How can you be really part of people's lives, an engaged, contributing team member, but also stand out from the crowd and point people to Jesus by the way you act, the way you speak? If you've got parties going on around you, how can you be with your friends but not like your friends at parties? How can you not run away from places where it feels hard to be a Christian? But stand out in those places. Show people that there's something better than partying to live for. One of the the deep values of our Australian culture is that religion should be private. We separate church and state. We tell people not to talk about politics or religion at dinner parties. We protect against proselytising in schools. People get weird when we try to talk to them about religion, right? The Aussie worldview is that you can have whatever religious belief you choose and you have a strong right to that belief. But that's your own private business. Religion belongs in the lounge room and the church and the mosque, not in the media or the government, not in the public square, not in the schoolyard, not in the workplace. 
Now, we live in Aussie society, and of course, we should always obey the law of the land that we're in. We don't want to exploit or trick people in living our lives as followers of Jesus. The Bible says that very strongly. Even next week, we'll see Peter call us to obey the law of the land that we live in. But to say that faith is only a private matter, that it's not appropriate to share your faith with other people, no way. The message of the Christian faith, the gospel of Jesus, is the best news that there has ever been. I believe it's the only way you can know God and live life to the full now and life eternal with Him. Christians in the room, if there are people who you know and love who do not know Jesus, there's nothing more loving you can do for them than to share with them who Jesus is. Telling someone about Jesus is an act of love for them. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, then if someone tries to share their faith with you, please don't be offended by that. Please don't feel like they're trying to take something from you. They're trying to share with you the best thing that they have in their life. It's an expression of their love for you. You don't have to agree with them, you don't have to believe what they're saying, but please listen to them. They're sharing with you because they love you. They want you to know the good thing that they know. There are people in my family whom I love very much who don't know Jesus. And it's the deepest sorrow in my life. There's nothing I want more than for them to know and trust and love Jesus. I want them to have the life in Him that I have. If you know people who love Jesus and they try to share about Jesus with you, please know that that's because they love you as well. If you're a Christian here, but you're not sure what it actually might look like for you to try to live a life of proclamation, to proclaim the gospel in your words and in your deeds, as in, what should I actually do differently? Here's one suggestion, one thing that you could remember, one thing you can try which might help you. Articulate, uh, maybe write it down or speak it to someone else, the story of what God has done for you in your life. How has God brought you to love and follow Him? In our, in our Christian jargon, we call this our, our testimony, right? Maybe you've never really thought about that before, maybe you have many times. Either way, it's great to be ready to share about the hope that you have in Jesus. And it reminds us in our hearts to keep loving him when we think about all he's done for us. You could work out what you would say in one or two minutes if someone asked you, why are you a Christian? It doesn't have to be polished some kind of sermon or something. Just the real story of why you think Jesus is worth living for. What has he done for you? That's, that's one simple thing you could do to try and walk down this path of proclamation, to live a life that proclaims the gospel. Finally, the reward for taking the path of proclamation is a future reward. Check out verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans 
that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. One day, the same Jesus who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven will come back to judge the living and the dead. It could be a thousand years from now. It could be tomorrow. And those followers of Jesus who took the path of separation, who isolated themselves from the world, they might have preserved their own faith by doing so, but they will look back at their lives and they will regret that they were afraid that no one came to know Jesus through them. And those who took the path of assimilation, who became just like the world around them, they will look back at their lives and they will regret that they were afraid to be different, afraid to stand out for Jesus. And that because they didn't witness the gospel with their lives, no one came to know Jesus through them. But those who chose the path of gospel proclamation, those who lived holy lives for people to see and shared the message of Jesus, they will look back and thank God for his strength to be courageous. Their reward will be great, and God will be greatly glorified through them. Choose the right path. Don't be afraid to live for Jesus. It's worth it. Let me pray for us as we do that. Jesus, thank you that it is so good to live for you. And we pray as we live for you that we would live lives and speak words which invite others to do so as well. Please help us to boldly proclaim the gospel with our words and with our deeds. Give us courage, give us love. And help us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.